Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Health Theory. I am here with Dr. Christian Gonzalez. Christian, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. So in going ham on researching you, I went down the GMO rabbit hole. Um, so I'd love to talk more about it. This is something that I'm, I'm sort of clinging uh, to the edge of having any knowledge. So I'd love to learn more. So why do they matter? Like you're a health guy. Uh, you're all about, I mean, attacking it from a lot of different angles. So how did GMOs make your radar? What began to shape your thoughts on that? Yeah, understanding how important our gut function is. Because when you think about genetically modified foods and the systems that they affect, they're, they're multi-systemic in their effect, but really they, they wreak havoc on the digestive system. And as we've known for the past really 10 years it's been blowing up about what are the implications of our digestive system for overall health. And part of the reason they came to the public and deemed as quote unquote safe is because the mechanism of the way they work was not affecting our cells, human cells, but it, but we find that it affects the pathways in the gut bacteria. And the target is for effect, as a pesticide on food, right, outside of our body. But that same pathway, the shikimate pathway, it's called, is affected in our gut. So that's the part that's really controversial when it comes to our overall health. The other side of controversy, it's everywhere. We don't, there are implications in blood cancers, uh, liquid cancers like leukemia, which is what we're seeing now in court, right? The, the billion dollar awarding of, of, um, of, the, test, of the court case with, with the, the man who had, who had leukemia or lymphoma. And when you look, it's unfortunate because um, there was, when was it, three years ago, uh, these emails came out from Monsanto, and they showed that they were, they're very much so aware that glyphosate causes cancer, causes uh, lymphoma, affects the gut. You see these in emails between scientists warning people within the company about what they're seeing, and that's a big problem because the awareness we learned when those emails came out, we learned that the company was very much so aware of not only does it affect people, but exactly the mechanism of how it affects folks. So the best thing I tell folks is, look, why not just just those foods? If you can't even afford organic food, let's buy the ones that need that are doused in glyphosate. Let's just buy those organic, right? Corn, soy, papaya. Let's get those organic. Can we run down the list of ones that are more affected than others? So I know from what I've um, heard, 
things like strawberries that have an exposed outer area that you're going to eat that are just sucking up the glyphosate is going to be way worse than something like a banana where you're going to take the peel off. Is there sort of a rough list of common foods that are problematic versus ones that are um, a little bit safer? Or do you just have sort of a whole approach where it's like, if it's GMO, I don't mess with it? Um, Well, you were referring to the peels with the pesticides that list by the environmental working group that they made. The, the rough thing that we can do is, okay, yeah, like pineapple, watermelon, avocados, they don't necessarily need to be organic because they have that protective covering. Even oranges, lemons, limes, whereas like you were mentioning, strawberry, blueberry, raspberry, spinach, kale, as, as, as a rule of thumb, let's try to go for organic with those. So it puts us in a place where, okay, if we're ingesting this, one isn't going to hurt us. Maybe one a day for a month isn't going to hurt us. But over time, we'll see it on tests that it's building up in our body. And there's known implications to those pesticides. So what are the tests that you would run to check for glyphosate? Is there like a glyphosate blood test or how do we how do we find out where we're at on that terrifying scale? It's a good it's a good test. I think everyone should do it. It's a urine test, actually. Right. Because that's the way the body metabolizes it. There's different companies out there, labs that do. Um, basically full spectrum toxin testing. Um, I do it for my clients once a year. I say, let's just see where you're at, right? Because if your pesticides, it's not just glyphosate, there's over 200 pesticides that are tested. They're in the 99 percentile. Either you're not, you're not breaking them down efficiently or something going on on the inside or your diet is really lending to that. And that can have long-term implications, right? So I, I, the, the reason I become so passionate about environmental medicine, you know, what, what we're being exposed to, not only just, not only from food, but the air we breathe, the Can water we drink. Can you define environmental medicine? I've never heard that term. It, it's basically the medicine of, of our outer world. Like, what are exposures, toxic exposures? So we were just talking about pesticides, herbicides, insecticides, but then stuff in our water, right? Uh, heavy metals in our food also, we didn't mention. Uh, volatile organic compounds in our rug, in our bed. One exposure is not going to hurt you over years is not going to hurt you, but you have this cup that fills up, right? And the size of your cup genetically is different than the size of my cup. And depending on how stressed we are, that's the cup will get smaller, but it's going to fill up at some point and it's going to manifest. Maybe for you, you might have a skin disease, but for me, I might have a lung disease. So this is what I tell people. How can we empty the cup? So let's just let's go shopping for some organic products versus non-organic. Let's think about the rug that we just bought. Is it off gassing in the house? Um, what about water quality? Can we improve our water quality, air filters, just small things in the house? That's basically environmental medicine in a nutshell. So if you had to start rank ordering this stuff, like what are the, the worst ones? If I, if the average person did that full panel, what are the things that come back? Is it mercury poisoning? That's at the top and people need to really watch their fish game. Is it glyphosate? And Hey, if you're eating a plant-rich diet, and I know that you're full vegan, if you're eating a plant-rich diet, are you more at risk? And like, yo, you really need to go hardcore on organic. If you were going to give us sort of the top three or five ways that people are really getting themselves in trouble, um, what are those? Obviously, yeah, so, rough rank order. Yeah, on the on the test, the major ones are the, pe- the whole spectrum of pesticides, including glyphosate. Even for folks who are like fully organic, they were still going to see exposures to that. Because a lot of even organic foods they may get uh, the runoff from other farms. Um, so food and water, major entry points, major, major, major. Um, BPA, that's the other one that's really high for folks on this test and all, their, all of their analogs. BPA coming that. from plastic. Exactly. Plastic, receipts, um, the lining of like canned plastic tomatoes. Receipts. Plastic receipts. Yeah. Huh. 
thermal paper. The thermal paper will have the BPA on it. And you it. can actually take that in through your skin? It's less so through the skin and more so that when we touch our face or touch our mouth. So people get it uh, on their the, fingers and then they put it in their mouth. Exactly. Talk about something that I have never heard before. I had no idea I needed to be watching out for those. Okay, super interesting. Yeah, so I tell people, all right, well, do you work in retail where you're touching receipts all day? If you do, wear gloves. Um, but you, if let's say we went to Whole Foods together, you wouldn't see me touch the receipt. I tell them to put it in the bag um, just for that reason, because of that knowing. But also children's toys, the lining of like canned tomatoes uh, or soups. These are all things that are leaching BPA. BPA is major hormone disruptor for men and women. I think that's the most insidious thing, the, one of the most insidious toxins at, with ha having the most amount of effect on our body. What, um, what is the effect that BPA has? Is it an estrogenizing effect? Is that is it kind of like soy in that way? Close. So, okay, uh, BPA in itself is a xenoestrogen, meaning it exerts estrogenic effect in the body. Soy doesn't. Soy is a phytoestrogen, but it's not a female estrogen. It actually doesn't exert estrogenic effect. BPA absolutely does, which is concerning because then it's a predisposing us as men to prostate cancer, women, breast cancer, and some and men, um, ovarian cancer for women. And the problem is BPA mimics estrogen, binds to the cell, and then tells the cell, hey, estrogen's here, act accordingly but it's also blocking normal, healthy binding of, to that receptor of other healthy hormones. The problem with BPA is this. The CDC, maybe five years ago, I think it was, did a study of 2,500 people, and 93% of those folks had elevated BPA in their urine, which is crazy because we metabolize BPA, half-life is six hours, you know, so basically in a day, it's gone. And the biggest problem is BPA exerts something called a non-monotonic dose response, meaning that we know that high levels of BPA have an effect on the body, right? And the safe levels were extrapolated from those high levels. The safe level, now we see, especially for endocrine-disrupting hormones, is below that safe level that we see that's allowed, it's also having an effect on the body. It's having that estrogen hormone-disrupting effect. And that's the biggest problem. Um, so then I'll hear like, There'll be toxicologists saying the dose makes the poison, but it's not necessarily true, right? It's, it's partly true. That's in a vacuum, but they're not taking into account that even low doses will have that effect. They're not taking into account how things bioaccumulate in the body, synergistic entourage effect of how they all work together, these chemicals. We don't know that. So I think I, I mentioned BPA because it's, I see it in tests. The CDC test showed it in, in a bunch of people. So I think that that's one that really needs to be spoken about way more. Okay, so we've got glyphosate, we've got BPA. I didn't hear mercury on that list. Is that something that you see a lot or? Just going to get into that one, the heavy metals, right? And so the heavy metals that we see dietarily, especially are going to be mercury, cadmium, arsenic, and lead. Uh, those are the four that are really, that show up for folks. Um, we get a lot of that, right? So fish heavy diets are going to be exposing you to mercury, but then Rice-heavy diets are going to be exposing you to more arsenic, whereas things like cacao powder, um, plant-based protein powder are going to give you exposures to lead and cadmium, chocolate, lead and cadmium, cacao, lead and cadmium. So it's just a matter of like measuring these and educating the public and being like, here's what we can do. Um, it's, it's hard. With heavy metals, it's hard, and here's why. The USDA organic label doesn't tell us anything about heavy metals. It tells us about pesticides and synthetic chemicals. The heavy metal onus is on us to find out from the company if we if it's a big concern. 
for me, it's a big concern if I have a wife, she's pregnant, or I have a kid who's having smoothies and we're putting in like a little protein powder or some cacao because he loves cacao, then that's a problem. As a vegan, how are you approaching the food angle? Are there certain stores that you shop? Are there certain foods you focus on? What is what is a, a day in the life look like for you? I love that. I love that because it's, it's going to be able to empower the, the folks who are listening and viewing. Um, really from the get-go, it's a matter of like, when you think about us as human beings, we have incredible detox systems, right? Like we're so sophisticated. So how do we optimize that? Are we pooping every day, right? Are we hydrating and peeing every day? Are we sweating as much as we can or working out every day, getting that going, right? Okay, before we those, move on, let, let's hit those individually. So um, what's what's the protocol if you're not pooping every day? We'll start with that one. What do you do? If you're not pooping every day, it's, it's a matter of why. We have to investigate why. Is it a dietary thing or do you have... Are you having too little fiber? Like we have folks who are eating still like 20 grams of fiber, which is too low, way too low. But that's what we're accepting. I think they need to go more towards 40, 50, not only because it it helps feed your gut, but with constipation, right? So I think we need to eat more, getting in more plants as much as we can. That's where we're going to get the fiber. And then, Do you have a hit uh, list the, on the plants? Like if I was only going to eat three, which is pretty close to the truth, what three would I want to go for to maximize my bang for buck here? I love I love raspberries because pound for pound, they're one of the top. You know, you can get a whole handful and you're getting a good amount of fiber. Apples, wonderful. They have, prebiot- they have prebiotic effect on the body. They're going to feed the gut bacteria and any leafy greens. This is what I tell people. Whatever you like. Some people hate Swiss chard. Some people love spinach. Some people love kale. Fiber rich, leafy greens should be pretty much in all your plates if you can or your smoothies. Um, so yeah, that's the pooping part. Just make sure you're getting adequate hydration. For me, I can drink a gallon. For you, you can drink a liter. What's more important for me is that you're getting minerals, right? Adequate minerals in your body. Um, that's true hydration, right? That where your cell, inside the cell and outside the cell is quenching the perfect ratio of minerals. Um, so for me, I, I'll, I'll filter my water and then I'll remineralize it because the filtered process is going to get rid of any inherent minerals that are coming from the water anyway. But I think that everyone should be, re, especially if you're filtering your water, remineralizing it. So there's some good, that? there's just mineral complexes, just dropping it in there, mineral drops. I like the Quicksilver Quinton ones, Q-U-I-N-T-O-N. You may have seen them. Um, they're little glass vials that you just break. Oh, my wife you, takes that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Those glass vials are amazing. They're amazing for Don't They taste adults. like seawater. They do because they're they're actually derived of purified seawater with 78 different trace minerals. That's a basic for health, right? Because minerals are the reason we can recharge ourselves. Uh, like are we charge our cell phones? We need minerals to as part of the equation for charging us. So um, I love them. So that's really helpful, again, for adequate hydration. If I'm drinking like water with no minerals, I can drink a gallon, but it's Drinking a liter with adequate minerals is going to make a difference. That's true hydration. You're getting electrolytes and minerals in there. Okay. So um, if you had to ballpark the amount, how much per day, given that you're going to get a ton of water from what you eat, how much Mm -hmm. do you tell people that they should be drinking? So it depends on the person, but a really nice rule of thumb is half your body weight in ounces, right? So, you know, I'll drink 80, 80 to 90 Uh, ounces of water a day and waking up with the ritual of like having 24 ounces boom right from the get-go when you wake up because you're your most dehydrated state so filling up that water there you go you have already 
you know, you just have 60 ounces the rest of the day. That's why I always tell people get a, not a plastic, a stainless steel or glass water bottle. And having that with you throughout the day is going to be so important because then you'll have a, you'll see, you'll have a gauge. Oh, damn. Well, today I only drank 40 ounces. Let me just, let me just chug 20 ounces right now. Your dehydration is like, that is, that is such a big issue that we see in folks. They don't even know they're dehydrated. Um, so get your hydration set first, right? Poop as re- regularly. Those are two major ways of detoxification. Sweating, you know, working out, it is incredibly necessary in every single way. But part of that necessary benefit is the detoxification and, uh, and you know, moving through, like, with that sweat. We see it. Like, you can measure, even in, like, let's say a sauna, you can measure the release of those toxins into the into the sweat. It's amazing. What? Like you can actually collect the sweat and see the toxins There's coming out? Some studies that have shown that you can see heavy metals coming out of your sweat hmm. in the sauna. But still, what I tell people, you just sweat. Put on a sweatshirt, work out downstairs, you know, just just move it. Okay. So those we we've got the the first three, bowel movements, sweating, urine. What's next? Home. Think about your home. How do you how do you detox your home? And and this is what I love about the environmental working group. They have a database where you can cross check your products that you have at home, right? Like shampoo. If you're like, oh, I don't know about the shampoo. Let me just type it into the uh, skin deep database. Then you'll see, well, damn, what, my shampoo gets an F. Why? Then you'll see allergies, immunotoxicity, predisposition for cancer, how it affects the environment, you'll see why it gets the grade and then you'll see the list of chemicals and then their grade, each individual chemical. So slowly changing our consumer goods, right? Soaps, lotions, shampoos, cologne, perfume, whatever we have in the house, that's a great start. Cleaning supplies, right? Again, the Environmental Working Group has a cleaning database where you can type in Lysol, Windex, bleach. And then not only that, you can see better options ranked like all the a's all the b's all the c's so um that's what an amazing empowering way that we can slowly start shifting the things out of our home and then i think the next phase would be just thinking about the stuff that you're purchasing at home you know you sleep in a bed seven and a half eight hours a day you know those flame retardants those volatile organic compounds we breathe them in so can we get a bed that is made that that doesn't have those vocs right is that a um, thing? Like, is there a, a mattress sure. company that? Sure, there's so many. What do you I look for? Organic? How, how is this no. stuff labeled? There's the O-E-K-O-T-E-X, O-E-K-O-T-E-X. And that, that ensures that they test over 300 different chemicals in the mattress, um, sustainable, ethically made. And then there's the Green Guard certified, which is the other label. That's the basically USDA organic label of mattresses mm-hmm. and sheets and bedding uh pillows that's what we want to look for when we have th- those type of things so like I, I i i bought a brentwood home mattress uh no affiliation with them but that's one of the better ones and affordable you know bed sheets okay i'll spend another 30 dollars on bed sheets that i'll have for a while but i just know that they're they're clean you know so i think that we don't have to be crazy hardcore we just have to make little shifts over time you know this is why we don't people don't talk enough about environmental medicine as I was talking because there's no you don't just feel it immediately. But if you have a let's say a child at home who's developed asthma and you go to your allergist and they go, "Okay, they're allergic to pollen." And you're like, "Okay." And they're taking the inhaler, but it's not really helping. It might be because 
they're rolling around in the new rug with formaldehyde, benzene, and toluene, and there's known studies that show it not only exacerbates asthma, but will induce asthma. Mm. So I think that we need to be aware of this because unfortunately, conventionally, not a lot of doctors talk about this. So it's just like, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just like, let's bring this awareness, let's empower ourselves, not be scared, and make a change. Yeah, that that stuff is, um, it is really beginning to make my radar as a potential problem, especially as I think about cancer and, you know, like the the just ever increasing rates of cancer that we see and how much of this is diet related, which was my first angle of attack, um, which is, man, probably for the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years has been how I've approached most problems. Like if you have a problem, I'll just tell you right now, the answer is diet, right? Change your diet. Um, but environmental toxins are starting to make my radar as a potential issue. Um, talk to me a little bit about cancer. I know that your mom had cancer and that sort of changed the trajectory of your medical career. Um, what, what's sort of happening at the, the cutting edge of cause, I think is, is probably the best place to start. Like what are we, you touched on glyphosate at the beginning, um, links starting to seem pretty clear there. Um, what are some other things that we need to, to really worry about? Yeah, I think. I have, like you mentioned, I had the personal experience with cancer and I did my residency in this integrative cancer hospital. And in that hospital, I was a little disappointed because I was like, well, we're not really looking to the root cause. We're just treating the manifestation, the end stage manifestation of what's been going on for years. And you're right. Diet is huge. And that was the initial entry point. I said, diet, what are they, what are we putting in our body from our mouth first? And then came a point where I was seeing people who've been super healthy dieters for 20 years or eating very healthy, triathletes coming with pancreatic cancer, young men, uh, young women, uh, athletes. And I'm like, what is going on? Because I know these people work out, they eat well. And then that I started thinking as I left that residency and working in my own practice, I said, we need to investigate. So then I started thinking about what are the pillars, you know, sleep. We don't talk about that, but sleep is when our melatonin is its highest. Our melatonin is actually one of probably the most healing when it comes to cancer hormones. So if we're not optimizing melatonin at night and cortisol is high at night, which is actually pushing that cancer, right, and reducing our immune function, that's a problem. So that's where stress comes in. So now we're, now we're talking nutrition, environmental medicine, sleep stress, mental, emotional, like there is absolutely, you can't tell me differently. I've seen over 2000 cancer patients. You can't tell me that there's not a mental, emotional part, right? I've seen folks do everything right. And then they've released that trauma from when they were a kid or a teenager. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. That's what started the real healing. So it, we, we got to stop thinking just like tumor, cut it out. That is not the way to do cancer medicine by any means. We have to Why look not? for the, because here's what I say. It's like, you come in and let's say I'm your doctor and I show you a picture of a field with a bunch of weeds. And then I go, all right, we're going to cut the weeds with surgery. We're going to burn the weeds with, with chemicals, radiation. Uh, and we're, and we're going to, uh, put chemicals on the weeds with, with chemotherapy. Right? So we're going to get rid of all the weeds. I promise you that or most likely then we take a picture and yeah, it's all grass, no weeds. And then I show you that and you go, you go, wow, I'm cancer free. And then we say, go home. You understand what I'm trying to get at? The soil in itself right. is never addressed. And that soil has many different factors that we were talking about. I was just, just talking about. And that's the problem because what I've seen way too much in my career is folks go home cancer-free and they come back a year later, six months later, maybe two years later. And unfortunately, their cancer is more aggressive. 
and I know whoever's listening, I guarantee there's people who can empathize with this because they see this comes back more aggressive and all of a sudden it's desensitized to the same therapy that was given and then it's metastasized somewhere else in the body right so now we have a bigger problem and a lot and that's what happened with my mom came back and she passed away the problem is no one ever no one ever even did a comprehensive hormone test to see how she was metabolizing estrogen in the first place right and that she had an estrogen dependent cancer and there are tests out there man like we can test I can see your hormones right now see how you're breaking down testosterone see how you're breaking down estrogen if your breakdown of estrogen is giving us too much of that carcinogenic form of estrogen that pushes prostate cancer that pushes breast cancer ovarian cancer that's available this is why integrative medicine and cancer is essential for me like we all have to be working together to optimize these patient outcomes Whew. so let's dive in a little bit more to what's going on at a cellular level that's happening to the cancer um when you talked about trauma and people letting that go or finally dealing with that and the real healing begins full disclosure i want you to convince me but i am super skeptical um if you had to translate it into something that's happening at the cellular level is this going back to just the immune system is depressed because they're constantly going over this this trauma and the trauma itself is causing stress and so it's very straightforward it's like you just have elevated stress and now as you deal with it that's going down or is it something more spiritual than that so there's something called transgenerational trauma where we see when there's an experience of a trauma in a pregnant woman or even in a kid there's a change in their gene it's called nr3c1 and that gene itself through as it's exposed to that trauma the, epigenetically the body responds and it changes the expression of that gene and then all of a sudden the all of a sudden i can't handle cortisol as efficiently as you so over time over my life let's say we grew up in the same household you're my twin brother we grew up in the same household i had the trauma we go to we have the same amount of stress at, in college and then all of a sudden we have the same job and we're, we have the same amount of stress the effect of that stress over time is going to be much more on my body and we know a thousand percent that stress is a huge contributor to any disease chronic disease, cancer. You know, we know the effect on the immune system. We know the effect on biological aging, on our, our, our whole defense system as a whole, everything. This is how things, like working with PTSD, you can have PTSD, you can, your body can adapt to that experience, but when you integrate it, you think about the inciting factor differently. Um, so all of a sudden your physiology changes around that, right? Because imagine like, let's say you have PTSD, I have PTSD, we're both in a war, we're constantly in a state of fight or flight. That epinephrine, norepinephrine, cortisol is signaling not only our immune system to be hyperactive, but over time that immune system is gonna get exhausted. It's gonna go down and down and down. Well, what happens when we go down and down? Opportunistically, those infections, those viruses, latent viruses, well, they, they take action, right? Other infections take action. And on top of that, those tumor cells that are growing, all of us have them, they're not being surveillanced the way they should be. And then the cascade is that usually when we're constantly stressed, our sleep is affected. Well, when our sleep is affected, now we're not not now we have a problem with melatonin not being at a high level for us. Cortisol is too high. Inflammatory cytokines in our body, right, in inducing more inflammation. It's a crazy cycle. It's inflammation, immune system depletion, infections, tumor cell growth, sleep disruption. All right. So let's go back to. Um 
cancer as a, a sort of cellular breakdown. Um, I've heard you say something I've never heard anybody else say, and I'm super curious, but you said that it's basically the body's last ditch effort to protect itself. And I've never heard anybody talk about cancer like that. Um, what is it trying to accomplish? Well, the way, let me, let me start by saying this. The way I've approached the body for many years is that it's more intelligent than any oncologist, any scientist, anyone walking on earth, right? We know how sophisticated it is. We don't even understand the immune system, okay? We kind of do, but we don't understand. Um, so my belief is the body has its inherent force to heal, right? The same thing is like we got a cut on our knees when we were kids. We're not still walking. We may have a scar, but it's still not open. It's, the intelligence was there to heal. So the way that I sort of think about cancer is like, what is the body trying to do? right? Is your toxic load so, so high over life with a crappy diet, um, exposures throughout your life, drinking water, um, just every, that, that whole soup um, and the cup is, run, is filling over and you're not detoxifying correctly. Is your body creating the tumor to hold in these or siphon in these toxins? It's something that I think we should talk about. We're not talking, we're not studying this more. Um, so my thing is this, is the body so sophisticated and intelligent that it's creating this tumor for a reason, not a quote unquote mistake? We as we in oncology go up, oh, the body made a mistake, right? Is it a mistake or is it an adaptation to the conditions that it was exposed to or given? And I think if we think about it that way, we can make way bigger jumps in oncology by trying to understand what the body is doing instead of going, the body's imperfect, it makes a mistake, let's just cut it out because we're smarter than it, let's just burn it, let's throw chemicals at it, and now it looks fine, go home, you know? It's interesting, I, I, just think- I, I love the way that you're thinking about it, and if you were my oncologist, there probably is a lot of sort of lowering of my anxiety levels to think that it has a purpose. Um, having said that, I'm very curious to talk about the mechanisms by which a cell becomes cancerous. My understanding of cancer goes something like this. Um, You have cells and they have a certain shelf life that evolution has said, if we don't have this shelf life, then we get cells that proliferate too much. That actually becomes a problem. So why will humans never live forever? Because cancer is the ultimate punchline to a cell that doesn't have a pre-programmed time of death. So, okay. The evolution has just said these cells need to have a finite lifespan. And what makes something cancerous is when it gets basically a mutation on a mutation that gets it to the point where it no longer recognizes that I'm supposed to die. So the immune system goes, okay, cool. We have a role to play. Here's a cell that has lost the realization that it needs to die. It's proliferating. Every time it divides, it passes on this mutation on a mutation. So all of these new cells don't ever die with programmed cell death. So the immune system is going around looking for those and says, okay, this cell has a problem and we have to kill it, which makes all the sense in the world about why a virus would be a problem or ongoing stress, because now the immune system just isn't going to catch as many. And so it's more likely to proliferate. As a tumor begins to grow, obviously it draws blood supply to itself. It now starts getting more and more robust. But all of that, like it you're so wise to say, we don't understand this well enough, and so we need to open our minds to this could be something else. I am totally on your team with that. Um, I'm just thinking it does seem, though, like the body is really trying to hit the brakes on cancer before it gets out of control. 
Yeah, that's a great, that is, and the way you describe it is literally the mechanism. There is a inciting factor over time, right? Let's say, um, let's say oxidation from really poor diet, right? Poor, no antioxidants in the body over time, over time. And it's hitting that gene. It's causing the mutation in the gene. And what, what you said is the differentiation step where all of a sudden the cell's not differentiating the way it's supposed to. And then it's propagating over and over and over. My, my only question is, what is the reason it's propagating, right? And what is, what is that tumor doing, right? It's drawing blood supply, but why? Um, but I love the way you think, right? Because if, if we subscribe to the idea that the body is essentially always cr trying to balance and create homeostasis, then we sort of have to understand why it's in balance. And I always say it's like, is there an obstacle to healing and are we giving the body what it needs to heal? Those are the two, I believe that almost every disease can be healed if we ask that question, right? Giving the body what it needs, those building blocks to heal and then removing the obstacles to cure. So, And the building is, blocks, is there anything beyond food? Like, are we talking about grounding sunlight? Like what are... Uh, yeah. I think foods is the major part, right? Like vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, nutrients, but also like vitamin D we're talking about from the sun, grounding for its um, for its effects on oxidation, the body, anti-inflammatory. Yeah, like all of that as a whole. If you had all the money in the world and you could run any test that you wanted to figure out whether um, tumors have a function towards taking us back to homeostasis in the face of something problematic, either there's uh, building blocks that are missing, I'm not, my diet's totally fucked up, and, and meaning it's missing something, or that mm -hmm. either um, I'm eating the wrong things or you know I'm intaking all these toxins. So, because uh, it's a super interesting question you're asking, man. So the we take the hypothesis that the um, the cancer is a last-ditch effort to get the body back into homeostasis in the face of some incredible stressor, mm -hmm. to use my own language. Yeah. Um, what test would you run to find out if that's true? Like, what would need to be present in the, the cancer cells themselves for you to go, I knew it, there it is. This is, it's trapping something or it's... Um, drawing resource it's like an immunosuppressive i'm sure. guessing i'm just curious like what what the answer would need to be that's a great question man and i think it would start with depending on the type of cancer that we see uh for some hormonally driven cancers absolutely i would do a not only a blood hormone test but a dried urine hormone test which is going to be so important at seeing like again is your form of estrogen so high the carcinogenic form the 4-oh form is it super high you know, we do the toxin test, the heavy metal test for sure. And then I would want to see what's what's in the tumor. If, if there's the presence of, you know, any of the fat soluble toxins, are they staying in the body? So absolutely. I'd be like, let's do human trials. Let's take a thousand tumors and let's just see what's in them. And let's test them for every single known toxin and heavy metal that we have. And let's put the data together and let's see. Let's see what, what percentage of folks who have this cancer, this cancer, this cancer, and how does it manifest? That would be an incredible study because I think it would advance oncology big time, right? Because then essentially, theoretically, we may have a, like a, a root cause that we can address, right? It, even before it even manifests and preventatively. As a vegan oncologist who has spoken very profoundly about the sort of freakish, horrendous nature of food in hospitals, what kind of diet do you put your patients on? Do you put them on a vegan diet? Do you let them decide? Like, what does that look like? It's a good question. When it comes to diet, 
again, it's bio-individual, right? Like my basis I use is say, how do we get more fruits and vegetables in someone's diet, period, right? Can, can their plate be 60% fruits and vegetables, variety of colors, right? Because we know that these, a lot of these plant-based foods have known anti-cancer effects, right? Beans, legumes, leafy greens. What, uh, what is their anti-cancer effect? How, what mechanism? It depends. So some of them work just purely as an antioxidant. Some of them are angi- anti-angiogenic. We were talking about the growth of the blood vessels. Some will, some will actually regress the blood vessels from growing. Some will actually be anti-cancer, meaning like they'll kill the tumor cell. They'll actually target and kill the tumor cell. Turmeric, like a spice that we use, we can use all the time. Yeah, anti-cancer effects, more than one. So uh, starting with food, how do we get in those spices? How do we get in those fruits and vegetables, all different colors? Really fast, going back to the ones that have, like they're actually targeting the cancer cell. um, I'm assuming that it's not like that thing itself makes it into the bloodstream. So what what of those things you just listed has that kind of aggressive anti-cancer property? And what sort of cascade of things triggers that? Like what is it actually doing? The, the, like, for example, turmeric in itself, its byproduct or its breakdown product, curcumin, that's what we see have the physiological effect on cancer, right? So anti-angiogenic, it'll reduce that signal that's telling blood vessels, you know, VEGF, it'll say, it'll tell the blood, cell, blood vessels, nope, no more, reduce it. No, we don't want, we don't want any more blood growth. Does it do that can- only to tumors or does that do that um, all across your vasculature? The beautiful thing about uh, a lot of these foods is that they target tumor cells, cancer cells. It's pretty amazing. And this is where I go back to like nature, our connection with nature. Like there's something very perfect about the way nature designs stuff. We've created amazing pharmaceuticals that can have incredible effects on folks who need it the most. But we also have to consider what nature does in perfection. So I always say, all right, what's the type of cancer? What foods have been shown to be effective against this cancer? What is the organ in question, and how do we support those also with these foods? Um, but I, I, no, I don't make, I don't say everyone gotta go vegan, right? Because there's folks who actually can benefit from quality. It's gotta be quality now. The question: If you're having animal products, it's gotta be quality. That's the most important because getting that conventional meat in someone's diet, when it's conventional, you'll have a higher inflammatory profile as a, by virtue of the feed and the living conditions, all of a sudden they're eating that and that's lending to the inflammation that we don't need, right? So it's doing having the opposite effect. The, the, what I'm trying to say, the rule of thumb is how do we get in rainbow fruits, vegetables, you know, some beans, some legumes, some nuts, some seeds, things that we know have a physiological effect on the body at the very least being an antioxidant. And what do you think about, um, cancer metabolism and the Warburg hypothesis in terms of cancer cells basically only being able to metabolize glucose. So for those that have never heard of it, the Warburg hypothesis is basically uh, cancer happens when the cell, um, the mitochondria get damaged and they can no longer use um, ketones as a fuel source and they have to use glucose. And if the cell can truly only thrive on glucose, then if you simply starve the body of glucose from a diet perspective, the only glucose would be in the system would be from um, 
the neogenesis that occurs from protein. So um, you can gluconeogenesis, you can turn protein into glucose, but it's actually a relatively small amount. And so you should be able to halt or in some cases even reverse the growth of a tumor. Okay, so that's the hypothesis. Whether that ends up being entirely true, partly true, whatever, I don't know. But the, the sort of first rule of Cancer Club for this only mildly educated person would be, I would cut out sugar fucking immediately and mm -hmm. I would go into as deep a state of ketosis and prolonged fasting as I could. Um, but as somebody who actually deals with patients, what's your take? When it comes to ketogenic, I, that, that's actually a go-to diet for me for a lot of the brain cancers in particular. Mm. So the question is like, we know that these foods have an anti-cancer effect, anti-inflammatory effect. Um, they, they're going to be protecting the body. They're going to be stimulating the immune system, all these wonderful foods. And then the other side of it that you're presenting is glucose having an effect as far as feeding the cancer cell. The thing is, it's going to feed every cell, right, the glucose. But cancer cell, yes, it will utilize that. For me, I would know what I would do immediately is I'd do a fast for sure. Um, I don't know how long yet. I always think question if I was to ever get cancer, how long I would do a fast for. I would definitely do it within a safe window, but I want to see, because we know that folks who are getting chemotherapy and they, they fast, it actually sensitizes the cancer cell to the chemotherapy and protects the healthy cells. So fasting has a major, major role. When it comes to, pre I'm not going to say prevention because I'm not going to say like, okay, do this and you're going to prevent cancer. But what I do for folks who go, hey, look, my dad had prostate cancer or my mom had breast cancer and I want to do everything I can prevent. I always, always check their insulin status and their blood glucose. That's so, so important. That metabolic health translates to so, so much when it comes down the road. But right now, it's like, what, what can we do? Uh, we only know what we have the data for. Um, and that's the only way to practice safely. Word. Christian, thank you, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, there were a lot more stuff that we definitely could have gotten into. I appreciate you diving into all this stuff. Tell people where they can find you and learn more about uh, what you're up to. Cool. So it's uh, Instagram. I put a lot of information out there at dlctor.g. I, too, have a uh, podcast. This is where I'm at the studio of Heal Thyself and um, starting an online community called The Swell Score. Um, this is going to be a community where it's going to be curated by doctors and practitioners where we put together the top supplements for whatever condition. So let's say you want to find the best magnesium. We're going to handpick the best based on what we were talking about. Remember, I was talking about heavy metals. We'll have cacao powders on there that we know have third-party testing, low heavy metals. So now people don't have to be like, hey, doc, what do I get? Where do I find this? So that's the project. This is where they can find me. Awesome, man. Thanks again. Guys, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.